right, this, this uh, actually, this is, isn't really a talk on Hebrews. Uh, I forgot to tell Chad, I'm not doing that. Um, uh, I, I was going to do that, but I couldn't think of what to say. So um, uh, th- this talk is, is a funny talk because um, it was inspired by a weird thing that happened this week. Not a weird thing, a beautiful thing that happened this week. A fellow comes to my office and he is going through a tough time, a really difficult time. He's going through a time of a lot of transition and a lot of uncertainty. And yet his spirit was so beautiful. His spirit was so rich. He had so much grace and, you know, he had faith. And I said to him, through all that you're going through, why do you still smell so good? And, and as soon as that word, those words came out of my mouth, I wrote them down because I thought, that, that's, that's exactly what I feel right. He smelled so good. And I realized something that every one of us gives off a fragrance. Every one of us gives off a fragrance. In fact, every one of us gives off a fragrance to the Father and every one of us gives off a fragrance to one another. And your fragrance really is your essence. It's your essence, and your essence is fueled by what, 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 the thing that informs your identity, the thing that, that, that you define yourself by. Your essence is fueled by what you feed on the most. And some of you cannot get your eyes off of what's not working in your life, and so you give off kind of a negative a vibe, a fragrance that, that is a real downer. And this guy walks into my office and he has every reason to be down. And yet he gives off this hope. He gives off this this incredible grace. And he left my office. I'm the counselor and I left better than he did because of what his fragrance was like. And so this morning my talk is about how we release a fragrance upward and we release a fragrance outward. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2. The apostle Paul said this. He said, walk in a way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Christ was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. He he, he gave off a fragrance that was sweet-smelling and well-pleasing to the Father. What was it that made him smell so good? In the Bible, this verse tells us two things. That he loves us. He loves us actually more than he loved himself. And that kind of love becomes worship to the Father. That kind of love becomes fragrant to God. A sweet-smelling, well-pleasing, fragrant to God. And I want to show you somebody else that that had that same fragrance on them. In Mark chapter 14, the Bible tells us that Jesus was in Bethany. He's at the house of Simon the leper. As he sat at the table... And it's more likely he was reclining at a table because they don't, didn't have tables like we had tables. So as he's reclining at a, at a low table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and she poured it on his head. 
And there were some in the room that were indignant among themselves. And they said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. And by the way, I just think this is funny. Of all the things to say after somebody walks in the room and pours oil on somebody else's head, you're going, well, what a waste. Like, as if that was normal. Like, do you just do that? Walk into the room, dump oil on somebody? And if it wasn't expensive oil, you wouldn't even bat an eye. Oh, Jesus got oiled. You know what? And you don't even think about it. I just thought that was weird. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do good to them. You do them good. But me, you do not have always. She's done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now think about this. It's two days before the Passover, okay? Passover is a big Jewish festival, great celebration. Celebrating the, the, the time when, you know, the, the Israelites were about to leave Egypt and they, and they, put, they, they marked the doorposts and, 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 and when this, this, this angel of death came, to, to, it, it passed over all of the Jewish homes that were marked by the blood. And, um, and so they're celebrating this great celebration. So it's a very religious week. But the religious leaders, you know what they're doing? They're not preparing sermons. They're in the back room of some place plotting to kill Jesus. They are so threatened by him and so mad at him that they're thinking, enough is enough. We're going to kill him. That's what the religious leaders were doing. Jesus is two miles away in Bethany. And he knows by the Spirit of God, he's about to suffer greatly. He knows that he's about to die on a cross. He knows this is coming. This is only days away. And so he's in Bethany where his friends live. And he's in the house of his friends. And Lazarus was there. And, and, and Mary was there. And Martha was there. And he's just eating and talking and hanging out with his friends. When this woman comes in. And she breaks this flask of very expensive oil and pours it all over his head. And the Bible says, and I love this phrase, it says, and the fragrance filled the room. And the fragrance refreshed and energized and changed the atmosphere. It filled the room. A lot of scholars think that the woman could well have been Mary Magdalene or maybe Mary the sister of Lazarus. Whoever the woman was, the one thing we know is that she loved Jesus so much. Because this oil, this, this, this spikenard is so expensive. It would have cost her virtually everything that she had. She loved him so much. She, 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 this, this was a unbelievably expensive. And this way she was literally pouring herself out on Jesus. Why would she do that? 
I was thinking about it. I think this woman, she saw something in Jesus that rest of us miss. She saw something in Jesus that even the other people around the table somehow missed. She didn't just believe in Jesus. She didn't just appreciate Jesus. She knew that Jesus was worth everything. He was worth everything she had. He wasn't just a Sunday Jesus or a pray before you eat a meal Jesus. He was worth absolutely everything that she had. She loved Jesus more than she loved her own life. And that kind of love shifts the atmosphere in any room you walk into. And that kind of love is a fragrant smell to the Father. That kind of love is worship. This, this oil was so exotic, so, so expensive, they had to import it from India. And the commentators suggest that this woman had been collecting this oil because it was so expensive in small amounts for the better part of her life. And, 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 and putting them together, putting, to pour that much on Jesus' head, it would have required quite a bit of oil. And they said that this is, would have cost her a year's wages. You put it all together, it was like 50 grand. What a radical act of worship. But it's a really good picture of what happens when you actually give yourself when you sacrifice yourself, you give up yourself for somebody else. When you give and serve and love people with tangible acts of kindness, tangible acts of goodness, you release a fragrance into the air. You release a fragrance into the heavens. You see, I've come to realize this, and I know this because I do it at times. It is possible to go through all the forms of worship and not worship. Uh, you, you can sing and not worship. You can pray and not worship. You can actually even preach and not worship. I've done it. Okay? It's also equally as possible to love people and be kind and good for selfish reasons. But this one thing I know for sure, it is impossible to actually truly worship God and not serve each other. It's impossible. They go hand in hand. The Bible says that when you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. Jesus said, as you have done to the least of these, you've done it to me. I came across a story years ago, and I love this story. Um, there's a little girl in the state of Georgia in 1887. Okay, 1887. In 1887, this little girl's reading the Bible and she comes to Acts chapter seven, verse 34. And in this, this, this is the retelling of the story where God comes to Moses and he says, I have seen the oppression of my people. I want you to go back. I'm sending you back to Egypt. This little girl reads this and actually thinks that God is talking to her through this verse. So much so she cannot shake it. She cannot get rid of it. She can't stop thinking about it. She's relentless with this. Until finally when she's 18 years old, 18 years of age, her family sends her to Egypt. 1887. They didn't have planes in 1887. They barely had boats in 1887. To get to Egypt was no small thing. 1887, who wants to leave town in 1887? Never mind, go to Egypt. 
And so the parents send her to this mission, uh, this mission base in Egypt with her sister, as if that's safer. And, um, and, and, and so she, she gets to this missionary base and she's there and, 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 and I, she just didn't fit. It was wrong. It didn't feel right. There was something not working. And weeks and months passed. And then one night, there was a knock at the door. A man from the neighboring village begged her to follow him to the village. And she went with him to the village and she got to the village and there he took her to his house and there was his wife hemorrhaging to death on the floor. She had just given birth and, 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 and they couldn't stop the bleeding and the woman died. And, and, and Lillian is there and she doesn't know what to do. She's only 18 years old. They wrap the baby up and the father gives Lillian the baby and he's motions for her to take the baby and she doesn't know what to do. She's 18 years old. But she knows that as you've done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so she takes the baby. And she goes back to the missions compound and the baby's colicky and the baby's sick and the baby's crying for weeks and weeks. And eventually the director of the missions compound says, we're not an orphanage, Lillian. Take the baby back. Take it to the village. Give the baby back to the village. Lillian didn't know much. She was only 18 years old. But she packed up everything she had. She took all the money that she had and she bought a donkey. And she sat on the donkey and she held her baby and she went to the village. And the people saw the love that she had and the care that she had for this child that was not her own. And they looked after her. And they would give her food. And they would give her clothes. And they would give her babies. And in the 15 years, 50 years that Lillian Trasher lived in Egypt, she raised over 8,000 babies. And to this very day, that was 1887, to this day, there are orphanages and hospitals with her name on it. That was the impact she had on that nation when she gave up her life. She gave of herself. That is a sweet-smelling, well-pleasing fragrance to the Father. And you may not be a baby person, but when you give what you have, you become a sweet-smelling fragrance to the Father, right? Number two, we're called to be a sweet-smelling fragrance to others. I've told you this before. My, my dad, I can smell aquavelva like across the street. I, I, I know that smell, that by the way, the sense of smell is quite remarkable, don't you think? You can, a certain scent can transport you instantly to another place and another time. It can, it, 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 Shelley Hergert, I was absolutely crazy about Shelley Hergert in grade 11. I, you, you, I even said hello to her once. It was, it was uh, we, had, we kind of had a thing, her and I, you know, and... Uh, and, and, and uh, I was a little creepy, I get it. But, but she, I, I, she, she wore this white musk stuff. You know what? I smell white musk, and that was a long time ago, and I think Shelly Hergert. That's how powerful scent of smell is. And I can think of aquavelva, and I have aquavelva in my brain because my father was a, a, a simple guy. He was a house painter. And every morning, he'd put on his painting clothes 
and then slap on the aquavalva and then come and have coffee in the kitchen. I can't drink coffee really well without smelling aquavalva. <laughs> and then on Sundays, he would take a double dose of the stuff. I, I think he had aquavalva underarm deodorant. I think he had aquavalva everything. One Sunday, and I've told you the story before that I think I've told you all my stories before, but um, uh, we, we were, he, my dad had dropped my brother and my two sisters and my mom off at the, at the door, like, and, then, and I'd go to get out, and he goes, no, 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 you stay in the car, because we needed to have a conversation, because I had the gift of trouble. And, and I, I don't know why it follows me, why it goes before me, why it's around me. It just is a gift. It's a spiritual gift. I don't know where it is in the Bible, but I have it. And so uh, I was always in trouble. And so my dad parks the car, gets out, and he, and he gives me this lecture of how he does not want me to get in trouble that day. And I said, Dad, I got this. It's going to be a good day. And he goes, come here. And he gives me this hug. And my dad's a really good hugger for a German. And, and, and he, would, he would hold his face right close to my face. And he said, all right, now you be good. And he go. And, um, and we used to sit in a circle, a uh, semicircle, actually a circle in Sunday school before we went into our classes, sing a few songs, then go into our classes. And I find an empty chair and I sit down there. And before we start singing, the guy beside me goes, whoa, you smell amazing. I have no idea what he's talking about. And then I could pick up the fact that I do smell, I smell like aqua velva. You see, but that's not really my fragrance. I've kind of got the 12 year old stink going on personally. That's, I, got, I, got, I got that from being right in my father's presence. That's my dad's fragrance, that's not mine. See, I believe with all of my heart that we are called to live a life marked by his fragrance. A life marked by a life called to, call, called to live a life marked by his presence. And the way you make room for the fragrance of God in your lives in a very practical way, in a very real way, I mean, there's lots of ways, but one of the ways you make room for his fragrance to come in you, through you, and to the world around you is to live your life with divine perspective. To start living your life, looking at the world the way he would look at life. Divine perspective. We know that the secret to Jesus' life was simply that, that, that he only did what he saw the Father do and he only said what he heard the Father say. And there's this incredible connection that Jesus lived with in his, in his affections and in his emotions and his actions. They were all mirrors of what the Father was doing. What he touched, what he said. It was all simply God's cologne coming in him and through him. He healed people because that's what the Father would do. He, was, he, he encouraged people because that's what the Father did. His entire life was a testimony of the Father's fragrance or the Father's presence. And because Jesus' connection with the Father's heart was so incredible and so close, he saw the unseeable in people. He saw the unseeable in people. He walks into the city of Jericho. And he looks at the most notorious thief, the most notorious tax collector in the entire city, the man hated by everybody. And he sees a kind and a benevolent man. 
And by the time Jesus leaves Jericho, that's exactly what Zacchaeus became. He, 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 he's, he's walking out on the outskirts of some town and, and there's a man that is so evil, so utterly evil that people are terrified of him. He is the thing of folklore. He is possessed with so many demons. His name is Legion. And when Jesus looks at him, he sees an evangelist. And when Jesus is finished with him, that's what he is. He sees the unseeable. It's what happened when Samuel goes to anoint a king for the nation of Israel and he finds a junior hire. And he sees a king in a junior high kid. That's what happens when you begin to, to, to adjust your perspective to his perspective. You begin to see the unseeable in people. And when you live with divine perspective, it's more spacious. You begin to see the best in people. I always say this, you know, you always find, you'll always find what you're looking for. And if you're looking for schmutz on someone, you will find it. If you're looking for something to criticize, I promise you, you will find it. But when you start looking at people and seeing not what they are, but what they could become, man, that's powerful. And you begin speaking to them, not for who they are, but for who they're becoming. That is powerful. That's divine perspective. Because when Jesus looks at you, he sees you and he loves you for who you are. But he speaks to you because of the great story that he's called you to live. He's always calling that out of you, pulling that out of you. Um, from 1987 to 2000, I had the privilege of, of traveling as an itinerant speaker. So lots of conferences and things like that. And those are really fun years because I spent a good chunk of my time in Europe. And in Europe, um, I, would, I had two, primarily I had two bases. I had one in Germany and then I, I would go in for about six weeks at a time and I would do a bunch of meetings, but I always came back to the base. And the base was usually a place where my friends lived and I got to hang out with them and, you know, churches that I was familiar with. And, and one of the bases that was in Germany, one was in Switzerland, one was in the south part of Switzerland, Lausanne, Switzerland. And the reason I picked Lausanne is because of, um, uh, I, I had a good relationship with the YWAM base there and I got to hang out there and that was a lot of fun. So they, and then the, they let me stay there for free. And, um, and I could get anywhere in the southern part of France or the southern part of Switzerland from there really easily. So we traveled by train mostly. And in this one, one of my first trips to Lausanne, I was uh, coming in and out of the city all the time. And at the train station, there's always young people, always high school, junior high kids, skateboarding. Again, we're talking about 1987. And uh, there's this girl... And I noticed her because she had punk hair and she had pierced just about everything you can pierce in your face multiple times. And, and, um, uh, she, but she was a really good skateboarder. And so I'd watch her when I was just waiting for the train coming and going. And one day she sat on the same bench as me. And I said something about her face. I said, yeah, I didn't, how many, you know? Only, only to find out that she spoke perfect, perfect English. They speak French in that part of Switzerland and she spoke English without an accent. I said, whoa, whoa, what, how, why can you, 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 your English is amazing. 
And she goes, I'm going to move to America. I'm moving to New York because that's a cool place to live. And, and I said, that's fantastic. I said, you're there, man. I said, your English is better than mine. And so she liked me. And you know the other thing I found out? I think I just like people. I think I, I, think I have his like in me for people. Because I like some more than others. But I realized that, 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 that Jesus likes people. And I think I got some of his like. Because I liked no, Amy, Im- immediately. As soon as we got to talking, I just liked this girl. And so I got on the train, back and forth, back and forth. And every time I got off the train, she's skateboarding. She'd see me. She'd come over. we talk. Probably two or three weeks into this one trip, I decided um, I was coming back. And I was speaking at this youth rally in Lausanne. And I, I was hoping to see Noemi. And sure enough, there she is wearing the same clothes she's been wearing ever since I saw her. And I said, Noemi, come here, I have, a, I have an idea. I said, I got this thing tonight, and I said, I need an interpreter. You want to come and interpret for me? I said, I'll probably be able to pay you something. And she goes, cool. Is this okay? I said, that's fine. That's perfect. And so um, I, the, the, the youth pastor that was driving me to the van, I said, we got to go pick up my interpreter. He goes, I, we, we got you an interpreter. I said, I got a new one. And we go pick up Noemi. He goes, oh my God, what is, I said, that's my interpreter right there. Because she was a little shocking to look at. And apparently she rocked it. I can't speak French and so she, I, she did an amazing job. What was really beautiful about the story is that my friends in the zone, my YWAM friends and my youth pastor friends, they took this girl into their hearts. They took her into their homes and they loved her and she became part of that community. And every time for the next 13 years that I went back to Lausanne, Noemi was always my interpreter, always. Fast forward 10 years, lost touch with most of my friends over there, haven't traveled really much since 2000, and I get an email from my friend Bryce. And attached to the email is this little promo about this huge international youth convention in Geneva. And the keynote speaker is none other than Noemi. The keynote speaker of this thing. Man, I love that. I, I got to be, see, see, when you begin to live and to walk uh, with divine perspective, every single time you step into it, you step into a, a story so much bigger than yours. So much bigger than yours. And God's inviting us to see things from his perspective. He's, he's inviting us to, to see the unseeable. And so if you start looking for it, you'll find it, I promise you. He's inviting us to come and share in his fragrance. And I'm going to invite the band to come on up. My last point is how do you get that fragrance on you? It's a real, it's the answer, you know the answer, but I'm going to tell you too anyway. How do you get that fragrance on you? Well, see, this isn't, the answer to the question is, this isn't the shirt I was going to wear today. I, I, I had a white shirt out. I ironed it, and I had a white shirt out, and so I lay out what I'm going to wear right before I go have breakfast, and, and it sits on my bed, my white shirt, and my really cool jeans, and, and they're there. And then I went and had breakfast, and when I came back, my shirt was all ruffled and wrinkled, and there were paw prints on it, and... <laughs> Murphy is a 
10 pound Yorkie pain in the neck. <laughs> Murphy gets onto the bed. I didn't close the door. And so he starts rolling around and he rubs his back in it. And it's, you know what? And he, he rubs every part of his body on this. And then when Murphy does it, Abby, who's his sister, who's only four pounds, does the same thing. It doesn't help that they were running around in the wet grass and then in the dirt and then on my shirt, okay? Do you want to know why dogs do that? They do that because they're pack animals. I googled this this morning. <laughs> they're pack animals. They do that because they're pack animals and that is their way of getting connected to their community. That they're my, I'm their pack. And they just want to get close. It's their way of being close. It's their way of being connected. And that is what Jesus was talking about in John 15 when he says, abide in me. And I knew. He said, abide in my word. And you know what he said in, in verse 8 of that verse after he's keep calling us to abide? What is that abiding? You know what it is? It's rolling around in his mercy. It's rolling around in his righteousness and his joy and his peace. And it's, it's, it's just getting, getting his scent all over you because you, it's your way of getting connected to him. It's rolling around in his forgiveness and scratching whatever you need to scratch with his goodness. That's what he's saying. And in verse 8 he says this, and when you produce much fruit, it what? It sends a fragrance of glory into the heaven. You glorify your Father. That's what it's talking about. And after you've rolled around on Jesus for a little while, and after you've got his scent all over you, then you go into the world and you graciously take his righteousness. You take his goodness. You take his like into the world. You share it with people. You take his words and his forgiveness and his kindness and goodness. And you know what will happen? You'll smell good. You'll smell so good. You roll up in Jesus and then you run into tough times. And you know what? You still smell good. Because you aren't defined by your circumstances. You're informed by what Jesus says about you. Amen. Let me pray for you. I think everybody rolls around Jesus. Everybody abides a little different. And so I, I don't think it's important what that looks like. What's important is that you do that. And I feel like Jesus is inviting some of us, if not all of us in this place, to, to, to come back to where we get our, our best fragrance, our sweetest fragrance, our most energizing fragrance, most life-giving fragrance. Some of you are tired, just so tired. It's not even September and you're tired. And Father, I pray that you would even today blow through our souls, blow through our lives with your beautiful fragrance. Father, thank you that you know, in the nation of Israel, where they were in the middle of a really tough time, a desert actually, and God gave them a rock. 
And out of the rock came a river. And they, they, they could do whatever they want. They could just look at the river. They could smell the river. Or they could dive into the river and refresh themselves. And I feel like the Lord's saying, there is a river. You decide what you do with it. But if you give it everything, if you give yourself to the river, you will bring forth a fragrance to the world that you live in and to your Father that is utterly, utterly glorifying. So he sets before us today life. He says, choose life in Jesus' name.